It's great hearing Bex read from the message as well. It's really good to kind of read a, a version that's fresh as well on a passage that maybe is really, really familiar to us and to hear a kind of different take on it, which makes us think about what, what these things mean. It's great, as Mark says, hearing it in that accent. Fits a ridge. Sounds so good. I'm sure angels speak with, it, with an Irish accent. Um, you know, we're going to be t- starting a series uh, on uh, fruits of the Spirit. And um, if you grow up going to church, it's almost inevitable at some point, if you're involved in any Sunday school, that you coloured in various fruit with words on, you know, a banana and a grapefruit and an apple, you know, with the different words on. It's, I can almost guarantee. Anyone remember doing that? I know I did that. And that kind of, some of you may be too ashamed to do it, to say that, but, but, but often that's what happens in churches. And actually, I went on to, um, uh, to YouTube just to Google Fruit of the Spirit, see what comes up, because it's often really, really interesting to see what people's takes are on it. And there's like a gazillion children's adverts, uh, ch- children's songs and PowerPoints. And some, some of the songs are, I mean, properly bad, really bad, particularly if I'm honest. I'm sorry if you're American. Some of the American ones are heinously awful and should be banned. They're quite funny, but I'm, but, and they're quite catchy in the same way that kind of, you know, um, some diseases are very easy to catch if you hang around them too much. And, and, and they just kind of get stuck into your head. Um, go home tonight and have a look at some of those videos if you want to giggle. But, and it's great. I've, I've worked as a children's worker for many years, uh, so it's brilliant to have resources like that. But the danger sometimes is, and from the amount of stuff you see on YouTube would seem to echo this point, that people almost think that the fruit of the spirit stuff is kind of a really nice thing to do to kids. And then we kind of leave it behind and we forget about it and we kind of know it and I'm sure you could recite the fruit of the Spirit if we went through the list. I don't think the church has grasped how radically, life-changingly, dynamically central the fruit of the Spirit is. And I've been thinking this for, um, for some months actually that I just felt God say he wanted us to do a, a, a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I have to be honest when I felt God say that to me, a few months back, it was, um, it was just before just after Christmas, I honestly thought, really, God? <laughs> Can we not do something a bit more kind of, you know, dynamic and a bit more exciting and a bit more kind of out there? You know, we've been thinking about apostolic community, and it's really exciting. We've been thinking about the fivefold ministry and apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and just thinking about, you really now want us to do fruit of the Spirit? Are you sure? I, I could come up with some better ideas. Uh, and God, as he often does, put me back in my place and told me, no, that was what he wants us to do. And then interestingly, a couple of months ago, uh, maybe less than that, a month ago, a group of um, friends from church here went with another group of friends who work in, in, in the country and, and different nations and, and heard a talk, um, heard various talks. But one of them was on um, the fruit of the spirit, amongst other things. A guy called Raoul, Raoul Witherall, some of us know him here as a kind of friend. Uh, of many in the church and, and Bernard and Jenny and others and he shared this teaching and I've listened to it and I just want to echo what he has said and so I'm going to share so much of this teaching echoes what I felt and some of the things that he shared as well so if a few of you in the room may have heard this and I just want to say yeah I believe this is fundamental in our days so we're going to be doing a whole series and we're actually going to break the fruit down into the different parts and we're going to do different because I think it gives space to hear maybe what God is saying to us as a community, what these kind of parts look like. Uh, 
It's worth saying it's not the fruits of the Spirit, which is part where the confusion comes when you have a banana and an apple and a gooseberry and a plum with different words on. It's actually fruit of the Spirit. It's a singular thing that splits into different manifestations. It's a single fruit, if you want to get technical. I'm going to speak more about that in a minute. This stuff is really important, and I'm going to kind of hopefully lay a bit of a foundation, and others will pick up on different things prophetically, perhaps they feel God's saying. But I want to take a bit of a left turn at the traffic lights, and which will bring us back to what I'm talking about, about the fruit of the Spirit. Because I want us to think about, as an introduction, to lead us into why I think this stuff is really, really important, by us starting to think about power and the glory of God. Um, I think God in these days the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit want us to understand his power and want us to understand what his glory looks like what his glory is all about Um, we pray, don't we? we pray that prayer, the Lord's Prayer we sing it, modern version of the Lord's Prayer and at the end we use the words thine is the kingdom the power and the glory. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Um, it's interesting, actually, that little bit is, of course, not technically, specifically biblical. The first bit, which is the prayer that Jesus taught his followers, his disciples, his friends to pray, doesn't end with, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. But that's the technical word. is a doxology. It's been used by the church as the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And it's taken from various parts. It's taken from the Psalms, for example. But it's been used in the church since pretty much the dawn of the church. Um, Earliest manuscripts have that phrase, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In early Greek documents going back to the 4th century. But as early as the 2nd century, a lot of the kind of um, church fathers were using it as a doxology and the church has used it. And it's been taken as part of... The, the kind of the, the mantra of the church, the heart of what Christians believe, as a prayer to God, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we use those phrases, but what do we actually mean? We probably think we know what we mean, but what do we really, really mean? Well, the kingdom, that's pretty straightforward, I suppose, isn't it? The kingdom is where the king's will is being done. It's where the king's kinging it. So we're praying for God's kingdom to come, his rule to come, his reign to come. And we're praying for that to happen amongst us. His domain, his territory, his will being outworked. That's a good thing to pray. If we saw God's will being outworked all around us, saturating society, that's a good longing to have. But what about power and glory? For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Power, we think we probably know what that means. Glory. What do we mean by the glory of God? Um, I'll tell you a story. Um, I'll change the guy's name. But many years ago, I was a student in Bristol and lived in a a Christian household. And uh, there were a number of us who lived there. It was a real real community of fellowship, and we shared uh, our life, our food. (laughs) Um, I shared other people's food a lot. Um, uh, Some of them were really good cooks, and it's really good to share their food. But we shared everything, and we had a real Christian open community, and people used to come in all the time, and we saw God do incredible, credible things. We saw God do some amazing healings. We saw people become Christians, and we saw some beautiful things happen. But for part of the season I was in this house, there was a guy who was living there. I'll call him Terry. That wasn't his name, but I'll call him Terry because I think we're recording. 
And he was a Christian. He'd come to faith. He was a lovely guy. Um, but he really struggled with his faith. And he would talk endlessly about the kind of battles, internal battles that he used to have in his heart and in his mind. And we wrestled with him and we did Bible studies with him and we did kind of a load of the guys would get together and pray with him. And we would look at the Bible together and we would study and he'd have prayer ministry in the house and in the churches uh, that we went to and in the CU meetings. And, And it just seemed that no matter what we did, it felt like throwing stuff down a black hole. Just nothing really seemed to change. And we had seen God do amazing things in people's lives. We'd seen lives change. We'd seen hearts change and circumstances change. But it almost felt like whatever we threw at this guy, nothing seemed to stick. And, and he would seem to kind of be encouraged and then it would fall away again. And, and he struggled with that. And he, so he struggled with the kind of the sense of failure and shame that he couldn't do this Christian walk really well, that he couldn't see the breakthrough in his heart that he wanted to see it. And certainly mentally for him, it was a real area um, of struggle. I would say kind of going into depression and and certainly mental health things for him became a real dark, dark place. There was a real sadness in him. And I think a sadness in us because, you know, particularly as a young student, you just sort of think, well, if I pray and stuff happens and you say the right Bible verse, then everything changes and everything's fine, isn't it? And it seemed to happen in some situations, but with this guy, it just didn't. And so we felt perhaps a bit of a failure as well, and we felt confused and angry. And then you go through that, and you come out the other side, and you start getting a bit irritated. Just pull yourself together. Look, I've shared that verse with you about joy. Why aren't you happy? I've shared that verse about being encouraged. Come on, be encouraged. And, you know, you start falling into all sorts of judgments and criticism and irritation, and particularly when you live with people that can kind of rub you up the wrong way as well. And it became really, really hard. But beneath everything, there was just a really deep sadness for this guy and in this guy. And a sense of darkness, he would say, in his heart as well. And just nothing seemed to happen. Nothing seemed to be breaking through. We believed for more, but we never seemed to have it. And there was something deeply in me that troubled me. I knew it wasn't how it was supposed to be. I knew that circumstances for this lad were supposed to change and that things could be better. But I got to the end of myself and I didn't know what to say anymore. I didn't know what to pray anymore. And if I'm honest, I got a bit cheesed off praying and sharing and trying to encourage. And I couldn't do it anymore. I don't think any of us could. And yet he constantly wanted encouragement and rightly wanted help. He knew he didn't want to be like he was. I remember one evening him coming into my room uh, we had had an open door policy we encouraged one another to come in and sort of chat and sit and encourage each other and ask for prayer and stuff and he came into my room one night and it's that moment where your heart sinks thinking I'm so tired I cannot do this right now and as he came into the room he kind of stood <clears throat> a couple of feet in front of me and said Tim I, I really need help and I thought I have nothing left to give I'm done I have no wisdom, no strength, no ideas, if I'm honest, no faith. And in that moment, I looked at this guy, I looked at Terry, and something happened in me. And if I'm honest, it was a mixture of, I've got nothing, mixed with a sense of, I'm done really. But also with a real sense of, oh Lord, I know you really love this guy, and I feel really broken that I can't fix him. And I remember just looking at him, and, and, and I just went, Jesus. And it was a kind of prayer of desperation from me to the Father. And I think it was also a kind of, 
cry of, Lord, do something. And it kind of rose up within me without me even thinking about it. And as I said the word Jesus, he shot 15 feet backwards. He literally flew 15 feet backwards, hit the wall, slid down, completely out cold. I thought, I've killed him. (laughs) That was the thought that went through my head. Spiritual man, mighty man that I was, I've killed him. (laughs) It's amazing what goes through your head in that moment. And I stood there paralyzed, thinking, I don't know what to do. And, well, after what seemed an eternity, it was probably only a few seconds. It was probably only about 10 seconds or so. Because he literally slumped down the wall, head down. And after about 10 seconds, he sat up and he looked at me. And his eyes were bright. And he was a completely, completely different man. I don't know what happened to him in that moment. I don't know how God broke in, but he was transformed. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, God came through for Terry in that moment. And there was real power. There's power in the name of Jesus, right? And sometimes we twig it and we see it. But there's always power in the name of Jesus. But sometimes in that moment, God's power was released so dramatically. I had no real faith. It wasn't a kind of mighty man praying in the name of Jesus. But God's power was visible. I mean, he, I've never seen this. It was like something from a sci-fi mil, f- film. He literally, from a standing upright position, flew backwards about 15 feet and hit the wall. Power was evident. But actually, the thing about this story is not actually about how powerful God was, as, as, as interesting was that, as, and as dramatic as that, that was, seeing that. The real importance of this story was that he was, in that moment, completely transformed. Now, I know not not everyone, that's not everyone's story in that moment, but this was this man's story in this moment. He had gone through a long time of it not being his moment, but in this moment, something did happen. The important thing about this story was that he was a changed man. Yes, there was power, but what was more important was that God's goodness had come and met with him. And he was transformed by the goodness of God. God's goodness was beautiful. God's goodness reached through his pain and his darkness. You see, he, he, he wouldn't talk about the fact that he experienced God's power and God's power blew him across the room and he hit all. No, no. All, all he talks about is God's goodness that changed my heart and my circumstances and my mind and what I went through in that moment. Why did God come with power to this this man in this moment? Well, because he's good and he wants to bring change. He longs to demonstrate his goodness because he wanted to heal Terry's heart. His nature, the nature of God causes him to act and sometimes his act is seen in powerful ways. God has power, yes, of course, we know that. But it's the goodness of God behind his power. It's his goodness that causes him to use his power. His power is shown, but his goodness is all about his nature. It's shown because of his nature. And God's goodness is what truly captivates our hearts. God's power is awesome, and he's got the ability to bring change through his power. But it's his goodness that's the key to his nature. 
Why am I saying all this? Well, let me read a few verses to you. Psalm 19, verse 1. A psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. When you look at the stars, what do you think? For me, actually, quite seriously, it was one of the reasons I became a Christian, being in um, a part of the country where there's not much um, light pollution and being in the middle of a field and looking at the stars and meeting with God. The stars proclaim the glory of God. I remember looking at these stars and experiencing his glory, his nature, his goodness. Yes, his power, but his goodness. John 1.14 says this, The word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John's saying is, we've seen his glory. So glory then is something you can see. Do you remember the transfiguration when Jesus becomes like kind of a ready brick kid advert, suddenly all shiny and it sounds like he's doing an advert for Daz. I love it. It he He has clothes whiter than the whitest washing powders could clean. Maybe not washing powders, but it kind of says that. And you think, so what was that? His glory, his, Jesus in all his glory was being seen. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So God's glory can be seen. God's, God's glory can be known. It can be understood. And here's a key verse, because I, I want to talk about the glory of God, and you'll see why. Exodus 33, it's a really familiar passage. We've spoken about it a number of times. Then Moses said to him, speaking to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from your people, from all the other people in the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, this is the key part, listen. Now show me your glory. If you said that to God, if God said, I'm going to answer your prayers, and you say, Lord, show me your glory, what do you imagine that might look like? Floating electrical clouds of power. Bright lights that kind of dazzle you. I wonder what we think God's glory is. This is really important. What do you think God's glory is? We're praying for it to come. We're praying for it to be around us. Let your glory come. We've sung the songs, haven't we? Let your glory fall in this place. Oh, it must be a cloud then. must be a physical thing. Well, maybe it is that, but maybe it's a lot more than that. Your glory. Show me your glory, says Moses. We know that God's really pleased with Moses. And God says, yeah, okay. And he says this. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Hang on a minute, I, I asked for your glory, God. And now you're telling me your goodness is going to come. That's the point. What is the glory of God? It's his goodness. It's who he is. That's what my friend Terry discovered that night when God's power came. Yes, but why his power came so that Terry could experience the goodness of God. The glory of God. The goodness of God that transforms our hearts and our circumstances. Sometimes we wait for it. Sometimes we're, we're in longing. We're longing for the glory to come. And sometimes there's a wait. And that hurts. And God understands that. There's a pain sometimes, a, a delay. But God's ultimate desire is for you to experience his glory. And that means his goodness. 
that verse goes on to say some amazing things. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my, my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on those I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So he's talking about his goodness and his mercy and his compassion. Hang on a minute. I, that, that's not your glory, is it? I'm expecting fireworks and lightning shows and big, thick clouds. And you're talking about all these kind of nice things. I mean, you know, we could put them on a sheet and color them in. You know, they sound lovely. A bit of compassion and mercy and goodness. No, no, you're missing the point. That is the glory of God. Really? Some of you look a bit disappointed right now. You're expecting more. Well, maybe it's we don't fully understand what that is. Show me your glory, says Moses. I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. Glory equals goodness, the goodness of God. And what I mean by the goodness of God, the nature, the very character of who God is, his godiness, his nature is his glory. When Moses came down from the mountain, he'd been in the glory of God. And what happened to him? Remember? Yeah, he was shining. He'd taken on some of the glory. And there was something about him that looked different, so much so that it freaked out the people around him. And what did they do? They put a tea towel over him, or the equivalent. They kind of covered it up because it was a bit too much. Sometimes the glory of God, the goodness of God, offends our flesh, and we get a bit, we step back from it. I think that's the power of religion. Religion can do that sometimes. But it's supposed to be a glorious, glorious thing. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces, no tea towels, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So we encounter God's glory, his goodness, his nature, the very part that makes God who God is, and we become transformed from stage to stage into his glory. We're not fully there, but tomorrow we hope to be more there than we were yesterday. And a week from now, we'll have more of his glory. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like the goodness and nature of God in our hearts, or at least that's what it's supposed to be like. God's power is awesome. It's the ability to bring change power. That's what Raoul was saying in this, this um, talk that he gave. It's quite helpful. He, he, power is an ability to bring change. If I have, it, it's, it's an ability. So if I have the power of speech, I have the ability to speak. If I have um, the power of attorney, I've got legal power uh, to make financial choices on behalf of someone else. Power is ability. But God's ability, God's power is different from his nature. God acts through his ability, through his power. But why does he do it? He does it because he's good all the time. We sing that song, you're the good, good father. That's not just a nice lyric that sounds a bit kind of nice and cheesy. It's truth. He's good all the time. God is good. God is love. God is just. So his glory is far more than kind of flashing clouds. You know, it's more than the fact that he's omniscient and omnipotent. And it's the nature of God is the glory of God. His glory is his nature, his heart, his goodness. In the Trinity, where they're all reveling in each other and honoring each other, it's not all about what they can do. Oh, Holy Spirit, I love the way you glide as a dove. 
and I love those lightning bolts you can do. No, no. What are they doing? They're they're honouring one another's nature, their character. This is really important because it links to the fruit of the Spirit and it's important for each of us. Um, Here's an interesting thing. How many fruits of the Spirit are there? Quickly looking in your Bible. Very good. Who said nine down here? My mother-in-law. Well done. And Carol. Extra brownie point for you two. Yeah, nine fruits of the Spirit are listed. Um, I I once heard the analogy of of the Holy Spirit. Often he's presented as a dove, isn't he? And um, doves have two wings. And if you imagine on one wing, nine feathers with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And on the other wing... How many gifts of the Spirit are mentioned in Corinthians? Nine. <laughs> I didn't want to say you're wrong. But yeah, actually, you know, it depends how we count them. But it's often said there are nine fruits of the Spirit and nine gifts of the Spirit. There's balance. And sometimes we get so fixated on the sexy gifts of the Spirit, right? I mean, I, you know, I love, we're told to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. I'm after them all. We're told to eagerly desire them, especially the gift of prophecy. So they're a good thing to go after. And we, 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 we teach on it and we do seminars on it and we encourage people to push into the gift of the Spirit and rightly so. Because they're quite exciting and powerful. You know, miracles and, and uh, tongues in different languages and interpretation of tongues and pro- pro- prophesying over the church or words of knowledge. You know, they're quite powerful, aren't they? They can control and they can be used to steer and, and to shape. And, and that's right, with the God's Spirit behind us that's really really important but actually if you just if a dove had one wing it would just fly around in circles and crash it's supposed to be balance and i have to be honest the gifts of the holy spirit are really exciting and please hear me please pursue them and go after them but if you have the gifts of the holy spirit and no fruit then what are you? I think the fruit of the Holy Spirit is actually more important. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are really exciting and we need them and we long for them and we need to ramp them up. But if you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit and no fruit, then what on earth are we doing? You can prophesy prophesy all day long, but if you don't have love, then what? Bong. Just a clanging gong, aren't you? And we know that verse really well, right? But I've never thought about it quite like that, have you? If you don't have love, oh, love's one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? We're told that we've got to have the fruit. Because you can have all the gifts and you can have all the power and all the charisma and you can really look like Jesus, briefly, I think. But I don't think you'll really sound like him or feel like him. Or look like him to others in a really long-lasting, authentic kind of way. Just a bit of a shiny, hollowed-out version. We're called to demonstrate his nature like a stick of rock. That wherever you cut it, you see that same truth all the way through. And sadly, the church hasn't always done that. We're supposed to be Christians, aren't we? Christians was used as a bit of a ridiculing kind of word for those early followers of Christ, because that's what Christian means, little, little Christs. 
We're supposed to look like him. We're supposed to act like him. We're supposed to sound like him. We're supposed to feel like him, smell like him, the fragrance of Christ to those who are perishing. And for too, too long, the church has said the right things, but maybe hasn't always lived them out and have been a bit of a shadow, a bit hollow. It's, we're supposed to show the glory of God so that his glory fills the earth. Power is important. We need to get stuff done. But the goal is to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, not his power. The earth's going to be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a great prayer to pray. Lord, will your glory be shown in this city? Will your glory be shown in this nation? But maybe the best place to start with is, Lord, will your glory be shown in my life, in my college placement, in my workplace, on the school gates, when I go home to my neighbours? Will your glory, your goodness, be shown in my life? Because we're supposed to be demonstrating his glory. We, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. That's our purpose, that's our destiny, to be transformed by and reveal the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 3, 7, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So God created us for his glory. It shouldn't perhaps surprise us, should it? Do you remember in Genesis? That verse at the end there, at Galatians, we heard, talks about walking. Let us, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's a proverb, isn't it? Do, do, do two walk together unless they've chosen to do so? Do we choose to walk with the Spirit? Do we choose to walk in step with Him? In Genesis, what did God say? Let us create man in our image. So if the nature and character of God, his glory is goodness and mercy and compassion and love and healing and hope, then if we're made in his image, we're designed to show the glory of God to a world that sadly needs to see it. And this is where it comes back to, and I'm going to wrap it up with the whole thought about the fruit of the Spirit. God's wants his goodness to be evident, to be visible, to be physically seen by people. That's what we heard in some of those verses I read to you. But what about the world we live in? Well, if we're honest and we look at the pain and the brokenness of the world, whether we look at global situations like Syria or North Korea, or we look at some of the horrendous um, fear and anxiety through terrorism across Europe, or whether we look at the poverty in our own city and brokenness, or whether we look at political corruption, or whether we look at neighbours arguing with each other, or whether we look at violence on our streets and the stabbings in London, or whether we look at our own lives and the mess that sometimes is around us, we see all sorts of brokenness that basically comes down to selfishness, misery, anxiety, unkindness, evil that's kind of lurking around waiting for somewhere to kind of burst out we see it in harshness the way people treat one another 
we see it in terrible impatience. You've only got to sit down in Whitcomb High Street in a car and watch the impatience down there. People who are out of control, we see that in London at the moment, and the betrayal of one another. That's the world, that's the pain, that's the brokenness we see. But when God turns up, something unbelievable happens. He comes along with his goodness and encounters my friend Terry in the depths of brokenness and hopelessness. And God's goodness comes like a light beam. I wasn't brilliant at science. I'm going to look over at Mary, who was. But you know when light hits a prism, what does it do? Do you remember doing this in a class? It kind of fractures, doesn't it, into a rainbow of colours. And it kind of, you can do it with a piece of glass, can't you? A sort of single beam of light hits this prism and suddenly it explodes in a rainbow of colours. I think that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit, God's fruit hits a, this prism and it splits like light. Raoul used this as an analogy and I'd thought about it before when I was thinking about the multifarious nature of God. Multicolour is, is one of the translations. That his goodness explodes into what? Well, it explodes into love and joy and peace and kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, self-control and faithfulness. So where there's selfishness in the world, love comes and trumps it. Where there's misery and despair, joy overwhelms it. Where there's anxiety and terrible fear, peace comes in its place. Kindness instead of unkindness. And where there's evil, goodness comes in its face. Where there's harshness, there's gentleness. Where there's impatience, there's patience. Where everything seems out of control, a godly self-control comes. And instead of betrayal, we experience the faithfulness of God. It's one root, if you like. The Spirit of God comes, but it splits into those different characteristics. So Galatians 5 that we heard about is not just a nice list of virtues that we think, oh, I'd be better if I was more of that. I'm pretty good at that one. That one I need to work out more. I'll, I'll try and pull my socks up. Now, I am no gardener. Sue has planted lots of beautiful fruit trees in her little orchard in her garden. And I have watched them. And never once have I seen an apple tree Trying to push out an apple. <laughs> but we as Christians, try and push out patience. Uh, you know, I won't make any more analogies that are unhelpful. But we do. We've got to try and work at it. And we turn something which is the fruit of the Spirit into a fruit of my hard graft. And we try and get better. And, and there's, of course, there's a there's a good aspect to that. Of course, we want to be better. We want God to help us. But actually, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to be connected to the vine in order to reap the rewards of being part of that. Because it's fruit. And if you disconnect from the fruit tree, you're never going to get fruit. God wants us to dwell in him. To experience his glory in our own lives and hearts. So that his fruit begins to show in us. So that we can begin to be part of transforming society. 
It's not just about a list of nice ideals that we should try and be better at. It's the dynamic nature of the eternal Godhead that can transform the entire universe. It's his glory. Because his glory is his nature and his goodness. And this is the fruit of the Spirit, which are those things in our lives. Weapons of mass impaction. And we don't realize that they're that powerful. You see, the weapons of our warfare are not earthly. They're not of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The fruit of the Spirit are weapons to transform our community, to transform our nature in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. The church is supposed to be filled with the glory of God that brings impact and change. We get glimpses of it every now and then, but we need it more. I saw God's glory that night. Terry was completely transformed in the blink of an eye. Now, of course, it doesn't always happen like that, but there are moments where you glimpse God's glory. And he saw God's glory. He encountered God's glory, his goodness, and his power, and was transformed. Lord, show me your glory. Okay, I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. In that moment, God's goodness passed in front of him. And he was transformed. As we begin to live out these fruits, as we dwell in him and his spirit works in us, we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to show up like Jesus in the places that Jesus did. We begin to sound like Jesus, taste like Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Scripture says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you think the world believes that God is good? And where are they getting their idea of what God's like from? The media? Religion? Boys and girls. <laughs> Sounds a bit patronizing. Men and women. It's from us. It's from you and me. When you go into the workplace tomorrow, are they going to taste and see that God is good? Sadly, the church, we haven't always got it right. We've been voices of judgment and criticism, voices of anger. I'm not talking about good works that are just good works. I'm talking about demonstrating the glory of God, the fruit of the Spirit, so that people can encounter his goodness experience his mercy, his compassion when they don't get it from the world, to taste and see that God is good, and then experience his power that brings that revelation alive in their own hearts. We need to walk in step with the Spirit. We need to allow his glory to fill us. And we need to then allow people to see and experience the knowledge of the glory, the kindness, the nature of God in us, through the fruit of the Spirit, which is that work in us. I want to pray for us and we're going to close in just a a bit of worship. Let's pray. Father, I know I've shared a lot tonight as we beginning to open, unpack this whole season on the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, I'm so sorry where as church and as leaders we've misunderstood what it is, the importance of the fruit of the Spirit. We've just relegated it to a nice Sunday school activity or a nice sermon illustration with some pictures of fruit and the words on and we've tried to be more loving to be more kind to be a bit more patient when lord you long for your glory to be seen in your church for your church to be radiant and vibrant 
and overflowing with love and overflowing with hope and overflowing with kindness and goodness and patience. Lord God, you long for us to be a fruitful people. You say that by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Let love be at the root of who we are. And you say it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. You long for us to be fruitful. It's your Father's glory that we bear fruit. So Lord, may we be fruitful. May the fruit of the Spirit abound in us. May your glory be seen in this church, in the church, in the city, in this city, in the nation, and the nations of this world, Lord God. Lord, we long to see your glory. Would you pass in front of us, show us your very nature, and help our hearts to be transformed. Tonight we say yes to you. We long for your glory to come. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.